0: All right, hello all, hey if you have your Bibles, a couple key places for tonight, we'll be in Daniel 9 for a little bit, and then in, uh... well we'll find out as we get going. Hey, let's pray before we get going. Jesus that's a big statement for us to say in that last song. All my days, all my life, you can have it all. God, I pray that as we sing that that each and every single one of us who sang those words meant it. All of our days, all of our lives, dedicated all to you, God, cuz you're worthy. Father, I thank you for the work that you've done this week, and I thank you that you're not done. Holy Spirit, I pray you would still convict and encourage. Father, you would draw people to Jesus for those that don't know him. God, do a miracle still, and may we get to watch it and see it. And then I pray that you would encourage us as we look at this final uh, passage, we spend our final time together. God, what do we do until we see you? Like, what do we do? Father, I pray that you would ignite us for something great, what you call us to. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says Amen. Daniel chapter 9, starting verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of that guy. By descent of Mead, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now stop there for just a second. You may sit there going, There's nothing in that. There's absolutely something in that. Friends, when you look at Daniel and he's sitting there, he's praying, he's asking the Lord for insight. That he comes across the writings of a guy named Jeremiah. Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah was used by God to try to warn, to bring the people of Israel back out of the rebellion against God. And yet they continued to rebel. And it was in his writings that he said, hey, this is gonna last for 70 years. Here's the point. Friends, if you wanna hear God, what did I say to do? Yes, I do believe the Holy Spirit speaks personally. You wanna hear God, you need to open the book. We need to get our faces back in the book, friends. Guys, I believe that there is a version or many versions of quote-unquote Christianity that are going out that people are saying this is what God's like that has nothing to do with the scriptures, has nothing to do with the Bible. And if all that people say, well, just love, just love people. And I believe that. I believe that's what the scriptures teach, but we got to make sure that we're defining the word love correctly. Guys, you realize that in, that in 1 Corinthians thirteen, <clears throat> excuse me, in that in that chapter there is this explanation of what love is, and part of the definition is this: love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in the truth. And so, when you have people saying, "Well, you know, Jesus would just love; he so would love, and he would love people enough to call us out when we're wrong." For if you don't believe in truth, you can't love the way that Jesus wants us to love. And so, what do we do when we want to hear God? Guys, open the book. You remember that prom was thing I taught you real quick a few nights ago? Guys, start to apply it. Try it. Guys, it's here that I learned it, it's here that I applied it. And 30 years later, having this time in, in the Word with the Lord is awesome. Guys, it doesn't get boring there's parts that are not as exciting as others. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'd rather re- read a narrative than a Levitical law. But when I look and go, wait, this is what God wrote for me, for us, that we can know him better. Guys, may we not make excuses as to why we are too busy to spend time with the Lord But may you become that generation that brings us back to, hey, we're going to get back to the simplicity of following Jesus. We're going to get back to the simplicity of what it's like to actually speak to him and hear from him. We're going to be people who are of the book. We're going to look like followers of Jesus did in the book of Acts, but really take it to the next level that causes the book of Acts to look tame. What if... What if you are the generation that God says, I want you to bring about the revival that my church has so desperately needed? Guys, he looked to the scriptures and he found the answer, but here's the thing. Has anyone ever prayed a prayer like that to God where you say something like, how long, God? You ever had anything like that? Whatever situation's going on, it's, maybe it's hard. to like, how long, God, do I have to go through this? How long? And how many of you haven't had him answer? He had not given you the answer. And you sit in there and go, come on, you did it for him. Why not do it for me? Guys, I think that God is being gracious a whole lot more than we think that he is. Because what if he says this? What if the answer is this? When you say, God, how long will I have to deal with this? And what if, he ha- what if, what if the answer is this? For the rest of your life. And is it possible that in that moment, God is being gracious by not telling you? That he's looking out for you because he knows it's too much for you to bear right now because you haven't learned the lessons that get you to that point where you can accept, God, if that's what it is the rest of my life, then so be it. But if he hasn't given you the answer yet, maybe he hasn't prepared you for it yet. So he goes to the scriptures and sees that they're gonna be in captivity for 70 years. And I don't know about you, but if I I heard 70 years, and Daniel's an older guy by now, so pretty much he's going to die in captivity. That's what he hears. Guys, it would be so easy to then look at God and start blaming him or getting frustrated with him or looking and going, hey, what kind of plan is this? But what does Daniel do? Look at verse three. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. You know what he did? He prayed. He sought the Lord. And when you start reading this prayer, you know what he did? He included himself. He's like, we've sinned against you. We. He didn't say, they've done it, but I've been a good boy. No, no. we've sinned against you, God. Like, we deserve this. And it says that he starts begging, asking God for mercy. Guys, we look at this and go, okay, so doesn't it feel like we're just kind of waiting? Like Daniel's waiting. He's waiting that maybe they'll get to go back. Then he sees it's going to be 70 years. So now he's just waiting for whatever's next for him. And as followers of Jesus, we've had this week where we come together on Sunday and we look at the passages. It's like, hey, we live in a world that is so different. We live in a culture that says there's no truth and a culture that's trying to get you to change who you are at the root of who you are. Because if a, if, a, if a culture can change who you are, then they can change what you do. And all of a sudden we look at this passage, it says, man, we, but we have to have resolve. We have to make a decision before circumstances come up. I will not sin against my God. No matter what comes, no matter what it costs me, I will not sin against God. And the question that we come back to, in order for us to be able to make a resolve like that, it's that one question we've been asking over and over. Do you remember what? Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth it? Because I'll tell you this, Christianity is not. You know, <gasps> Guys, The whole point of Christianity is Christ. Jesus is worth it. It's about him. Is Jesus worth it? And if he is, then we make the decision, no matter what comes, I will not sin against my God. I will stand for what is true and right and honorable to him, all in worship of him. Because of what he's done for me and because of who he is, I will worship him, no matter what. Even if... I have to stand alone when everyone else is bowing down to these things. I will stand because I know that my God can save me. But even if, remember that part? But even if he doesn't, I won't bow down because Jesus is worth it. So what do we do in the waiting? Or what's the purpose of this whole thing of 70 years? I mean, why go through it? Was God just sitting there going, I'm just going to punish you because I can. Ha ha, you're grounded. Is that what it's all about? There's no, there's no point behind it? Guys, I don't believe that at all. If you want to find it, just go back a little bit to the book of Jeremiah. Go back to the book of Jeremiah. If you can't find it just by leafing back, just go to the front of the Bible and find the page number. There's nothing wrong with that. Jeremiah chapter 29, and for those of you brought up in the church, student or adult, if I say Jeremiah 29, anybody, what verse comes to your mind after that? 11, right? This is the verse, right? And let me just read 11 by itself, because this is what we quote, and it's a beautiful verse. I think we've just butchered it for a while. Verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Ah, oh. I know the plans I have, for you," declares the Lord. Some of you guys might have a translation where he, said he uses the word prosper. And when we think of prosper, we think of money, comfort, being comfortable. But friends, when we read it in the context of what it is that was actually written for, go back to verse 10 first. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you he says and goes, 70 years. Can you imagine people going, what? We have to wait this long? And then as time continues to pass by and nothing's changing, nothing's getting better. It's so easy for us to then look at God and go, are you kidding me? There's nothing good in this. And we begin to question whether or not God actually has a plan. No matter what the circumstance was, like if some tragedy hit you or a friend or a family member that was not expected, it's so easy for us to look at God and say, how dare you are you telling me that there's anything good that comes out of this and then you're waiting and you're still dealing with it seems like nothing's changing let me encourage you when it feels like it's taking too long it's because God's not done with it yet when it feels like it's taking too long hear God say I know that it's a long time but trust me I know the plans I have for you do you see the context now It's not just this blanket verse we throw down to go, I'm going to have a comfortable life. He's sitting there going, I know in this time of waiting, you're wondering if I know what I'm doing. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper or for your welfare, to give you a future and a hope. And then you continue. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Guys, when you take that passage and you connect it to Romans chapter one, in Romans chapter one, I think it's around verse 18, it talks about the wrath of God. And when we hear wrath, we think lightning bolts coming down from heaven or big old mountain. My like God's just throwing a mountain down because he's ticked. But then three different times in that same chapter, it's this phrase, and God handed them over. God handed them over. What did he hand them over to? Sin. God handed them over. God handed them over. And we think, and then there's this list of, like list of people that aren't gonna make it into heaven, quote unquote. And they get to chapter two. What happens in chapter one, you get preachers just looking the list and say, these people aren't making it to heaven, and they stop there. Now, there's true, guys. Without Christ, we don't stand in the presence of God. We're separated from God in hell for eternity. But God made the way. Remember, we talked about it last night. So when you stop at chapter one, you don't see the good that's coming. But when you go to chapter two, around verse three or four, it says this, do you not understand it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? Like, why would God hand us over to our sin if it could hurt us? You ever notice how much more you pray when things get rough? Man, we pray hard then, don't we? You ever notice that you're not really aware of what's going on? When I think it's all comfortable, it's like, this is my life. And maybe for some of you, kind of lived like that for a while. That's why last night you took that bold stand where you said, I, I made a decision for Jesus, but I got to repent. I got to come back. Because maybe you're seeing that what you were doing and those choices you were making that were sin and rebellion against God, they were actually damaging you and God handing you over, going, I'm gonna let you do this, not completely forsaking you, but handing you over for the purpose that you would repent and come back. Because he loves you. He loves us. Guys, that's what he's doing to Israel. I'm gonna hand you over for 70 years. And in that time, Look at it again. You will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you. In other words, they're gonna repent and turn to God and he's sitting there going, that's the reason behind it. Do you ever feel like you're seeking God but you're not finding him? Like he's really, he's kind of a tyrant when it comes to hide and seek. Guys, do you still play hide-and-seek? There's no app for it, so I don't know if that's what you do. But, but do you, like, I mean, playing hide-and-seek when you're little, that's okay. But when you play when you're older, it's awesome. Because you kind of, you, you feel it out. Like, you, you know, go at night because it's much more fun because you're going to freak each other out and wear dark clothing, find the shadows, bury yourself under leaves and whatever. But it's like, it's so much more fun but guys, I remember when our, when our boys were little, so Dylan, Tyler's like four, Dylan's two, and it was time to play hide and seek, it's, so Kelly's in the kitchen doing stuff, and she'd make sure they count, and I would go hide, and, but first they would go hide, and I'd, I'd, it'd be, it, it was so obvious where they would hide. I mean, Dylan's like two, and he's like, I'm going to hide behind that. And his diaper butts all hanging out the back end. He's like, huh. and so I come, I, I count like real loud and slow, and I get to ten, and I say, ready or not, here I come. And all of a sudden they giggle. I mean, they let it's like <laughs> that almost sound like a demon, but it's like that, like you, you get what I'm saying, right? And Dil, no joke, like Tyler's under a table with his feet hanging out, and Dylan's behind a lamp with his butt hanging out. So I then have to play like the Oscar card. I'm like, where are they? I don't even know. And I'm walking around Dylan the whole time. <laughs> And so I just keep walking around, pretending like I don't find them. Then I do, and then I push them down, and we all roll around. Not hard, but I, you know, I wrestle like a dad, and I'm wrestling. Then it's my turn to hide. And then they run off to the kitchen, and our house was not big. It was tiny. And so I, I would go in the back into our bedroom, and it wasn't like I, I didn't go into like the attic and then like knock and drop stuff on it. It wasn't like that. But I wasn't going to hide behind a lamp, I don't believe that kids should get to win unless they earn it. So here's the thing. So I said, I'm going to hide. Guys, I hid behind a door. That's all I did. But I made sure it was dark. So where I am, from where I am, I can hear him counting. So, so Kelly said, okay, boys, count. And Tyler, he's four. So he's got one, two, three. Dylan's two. He's like, one, two, three, four. And I'm like, what is? It's like an air horn. Like, what is that? And I'm like, God, please give him wisdom. Please give him knowledge, because that doesn't sound right. Top, it. I'm like, oh, that must have been seven, because there was two syllables there. And so, they finally get to the end. And, and Dylan's loud. He's like, "Renny knocked the top. I know what that meant. <laughs> I feel it. They start walking out, and they're like looking under their table behind the lamp. (laughs) They're staying in the light. They keep walking around, and they don't see me, and they go back to Kelly. She goes, well, go down the hole. So no joke. And it gets darker. It's not like pitch dark, but it starts to gradually get darker. And so Tyler's walking, and Dylan's right behind him. Here's my four-year-old. I'm watching him through the crack of the door. As he gets a little closer to the dark, he looks, and then he takes Dylan and puts him in front. (laughs) And he goes, go! And Dylan's just like, okay. (laughs) He's walking around like a drunk monkey. (laughs) Dylan's going, has no clue. Tyler's behind, like ready to pounce, but to run. Like push the kid down and go. So they get close to where I'm at, but they won't, they won't come in where it's super dark. And so then you hear Tyler go, he's not here. He's not here. So he grabs Dylan. They start to walk away. And as they start to walk away, I go, uh. <laughs> <laughs> here comes Dylan. <Taylor. laughs> <laughs> Tyler's pushed him in front. They keep coming. Kelly's in the family room laughing. Same thing. Get to the same spot. Not here. They keep going. Every time I did the same thing. Uh, There you go. Come back. Uh. And then I was tired of hiding. So they get closer. And I just jump out and scare the crud out of them. (laughs) It was like. But this was like the time to do it because... If he pooped his pants, he had a diaper. It didn't matter. <laughs> and I jump out and scare him. And they scream. And then I tackle them both. And we're just rolling around. Now they're like, now Tyler's like frustrated. He's trying to beat Dad. And I'm going to be honest. I can take a four-year-old. But I him pretend, okay. And then after a while, you just throw him off. <laughs> Guys, I remember going through this passage in Jeremiah. Just as a personal time, me and the Lord. I remember telling him, God, I feel like I seek you with everything I have. But I feel like when I do it, I don't find you every time. And I don't understand that part. And you know what came to my mind? Me playing hide and seek with my boys. See, God wants to be sought after. Guys, when we seek afterwards, when we're just sitting there going, God, I just want to know you. I want want to experience you. I want to see you. I want to hear from you. Guys, do you realize that you're revealing to him your heart for him, and it blesses our creator? Guys, when you go through those dry times, and friends, you will. Young people, if you have never gone through the dry time with God yet, it's okay. Youth leaders, by a show of hands, how many have ever gone through the dry time in your faith? Put them way up. Now, students, look around. Guys, it's part of the journey. The automatic thing we do is sit and go, there's something wrong, I did something wrong. Sometimes God takes away the emotion of following him just to make sure we'll be obedient. That we're not worshiping the experience of following Jesus, we're just simply worshiping Jesus. Guys, it's part of the journey. And when I asked him that question, that's the thought that popped in my head, and I knew what God was saying. Guys, when I played hide-and-seek with my boys, yes, I messed around with them, played, and I was, it was fun, and they had fun. They're not scarred by it all. But ultimately, why would I make the noise? Why would I make the noise? If they start going the wrong way, why would I make the noise? Because I want them to find me. Guys, God's the same way. Guys, we start to wander, and we're like a little scared. He'll make the noise. Huh? Why? Because he wants to be found by us. He wants it. He desires it. He loves it. It blesses him. Guys, it's in the passage. He looks at a whole people group that he chose out of every other people group on the planet to be his chosen people. And he says, when all this is over, you're going to seek me with all of your heart, which is what he wants. But does that change the fact that we have to wait? Like, we're still waiting, right? Guys, Jesus is coming back one day. There are days, I'm not going to lie, I'm like, God, Jesus, today? Today would be a good day. Why don't you come back today? And then it didn't happen. I'm like, how about tomorrow? doesn't happen. And you get all those people that try to predict it, and I'm like, would you shut up? Because he says that no one knows the day or the hour, and what if you nailed it? And he's like, well, nobody's supposed to know. I'm not coming back, so stop it. He's coming back one day, friends. But what do, what do we do in the waiting? Guys, you turn to the next book to the right. So turn pages to the left. Go to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3, starting Verse 24. Actually, let's start in 22. Lamentations chapter, chapter 3, starting verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Guys, hold on to that. Can I, can, can I be honest with you for just a second? Monday and Tuesday night, um, each night I walk back to my room. And I, I started texting and then, and then I called my wife and she goes, how's it going? And I always say I'm being faithful. That's, that's been my thing. Because I don't want to base it on if they're laughing or for people like, oh, this is what they're saying. Just, I, am I being faithful to Jesus? But I told her this. I said, I just don't feel it. I don't feel like I'm connecting. I don't know that, I don't know what's going on. And I was spending time with the Lord in the word in the morning, but I don't know that it was the first thing I was doing. That it kind, of, it kind of became the second. And then, I, and then as I thought through it and I was praying through it, I felt like I just had all this weight that I put on myself to make sure I convinced people that they need Jesus, all the while forgetting I'm just supposed to be faithful with the message and, the, and Jesus does his thing. And so on, what day was it? On Tuesday morning, I got up about five. And I went for a walk around the well, not around the lake, just the, the, on the way to the cove. And I found a bench and I just sat there and I took my Bible out and I took the whole bench. Like, it was kind of like, don't sit here. And people are walking by. I'm like, it's really great to see you, but it's mine. And I read out, of, I think it was Psalm 136. And you know what phrase was repeated over and over and over and over? The same one here that's in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And I just started writing that out in my journal. God, what is that? Like, I've seen that. I mean, I've seen that phrase hundreds of times. So, God, why is this standing out more than ever? And I wonder if it was part, even as I think back on that time with Jesus just on Tuesday morning, just now, as I'm thinking about it, I wonder if part of it's this. Friends, the steadfast love of God is not based on performance. It's not based on how, quote unquote, well I did at presenting the gospel. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never stops. Guys, in Ephesians 1, I think I might have mentioned this when we talked about creation. It says that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the Lord. Before the foundation of God creating everything. The Bible says you were chosen in him. That means the favor of God was already on you before you ever did good or bad. The steadfast love of the Lord never, never ceases. Can we anger him? Absolutely. But everything that he does, even when he has to, even when he has to show his wrath... And that moment, he's not less loving. He never becomes less of anything. Guys, if I could remind you of anything as you go back down the hill. And for some of you, home is great. And you get along with your family and you get along with your parents. And then for others of you, you go home. And the reason you wanna, go, the reason you wanna stay here is because you don't wanna go home. Like you're just sitting, it's like such a hard thing or there's just that, that circumstance or that painful thing you've been going through, you gotta go back to it. And my reminder to you is this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It never ends. It never stops. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They, his mercies, are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is the faithfulness of God. And then he goes on. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So friends, what do we do in this time of waiting? That God hasn't come back yet, Jesus hasn't shown up riding on the clouds like he said he would, hasn't happened yet. We wait. You're like, wait, that's the worst Isn't it? Guys, you ever been in line, Starbucks or wherever, Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out or whatever you like, and you ordered before the people behind you, and the travesty of all travesties, the persecution happens. The person behind you gets their order first, right? You're just sitting there going, I know it. Satan, get behind me. God, give me strength for the persecution that I'm experiencing. I have to wait longer for my hamburger. Oh, I feel it, guys. It's and then you ever done this? Especially if you're wearing like a Jesus shirt or something, you can't lose it, right? Because it makes Jesus look bad. So now you have the pressure. So the person behind gets their food. They don't even know, they re, they don't even remember you. They just get it. They walk out. You're sitting there, and the per, you're looking at the person. You're kind of like. It's okay. I'm showing patience. The next person behind gets there, and you're like, it's okay. But inside, you're sitting there going, I'm ready to just destroy you. <laughs> Guys, we need to learn how to wait because Jesus doesn't wear a watch. And he doesn't care what's on our what's on our calendar. He doesn't give a rip. He doesn't ask me, hey, Brian, is now a good time? He especially doesn't ask me, Brian, is now a good time for some crisis? Is now a good time for some affliction? Um, no. No. My brother's ready for it. Why did not you go? Just, I don't say that. No, but it's like, he doesn't ask. He doesn't check in. And so he just said, well, I'm just supposed to Wait. Well, you're supposed to hope. But here's the problem with that word hope. Guys, we've kind of butchered the definition. We think hope just means, well, I hope it happens. I'm not sure if it's going to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever you use the word hope, hey, are you going to come over? Are you going to come over this weekend? I hope so. I'm just not sure. I hope. Guys, that's not what that word means in the Hebrew. When you get to that verse, let's see, verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. That word hope is also translated wait. Hope and wait are synonymous in the definition of that Hebrew word. But the word hope for them was not, I hope so, I'm not quite sure, no, 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 no. Hope for them was this expectancy that is going to happen. So when it just looks like, okay, nothing's changing. It's getting so hard. We don't sit and go, I hope God comes through. I'm not sure. No, no, no. We know why. Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is his faithfulness because of who God is, because his character never changes, because he's Perfect, omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, almighty, because God is in control, sovereign commander of the universe. No matter what happens, I'm going to stand right here. I'm going to wait on the Lord because I know he's going to come through. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter who stands against me because I'm a follower of Jesus, it does not matter because I know he'll come through every single time. That's what it means to hope in the Lord. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. Guys, that's what we do. Guys, even Paul, the apostle Paul in Philippians chapter one, verse 21, he says this. It's one of my favorite verses. He says, for to me to live as Christ and to die is gain. It's like, what? How could dying be gain? He's gonna go, well, he's just probably really sad when he wrote that. Guys, it's known as the letter of joy. He's full of joy. Guys, you realize he's under house arrest. Either under house arrest or he's in prison. There's all these debates about it. He's arrested because he loved Jesus. He says, the whole Praetorian Guard, that's like the Navy SEALs on steroids back in the day. They all know why I'm here. They all know it's because I love Jesus. Guys, it's possible that there were times where a Praetorian Guard would be chained up to Paul to keep an eye on him. Now, it doesn't say it happened like this, but what if it did? What if the Praetorian Guard walks in? He goes, okay, it's my day. Paul, I heard yesterday... Buddy, mine watched you, said you annoyed the crud out of him because you just kept talking about Jesus the whole day. Yeah, I did. So, as he, as he attaches the chain to his wrist, attaches it to Paul, and he says, Okay, if you do it to me today, I will kill you. Can you imagine Paul, because of that verse, saying, You promise, you promise. I promise, okay, because the dude yesterday said he would do it, he didn't do it. You promise you'll do it? If you tell me about Jesus, I will kill you. Okay, let me tell you about Jesus. (laughs) Guys, in that moment, who's in prison? Paul or the guard? (laughs) Paul's free. Why does he say for me to live as Christ to die as gain, why? Because he says this, I know that when I'm absent from the body, I'll be with Jesus. That's that's where I really want to be. I want to see him. But I know that while I'm on this earth, God has work for me to do. And so I will labor. And I will work for the Lord. And while he works for the Lord, he will wait on the Lord. And while he waits on the Lord, he will hope in the Lord. Daniel goes to the scriptures and finds out 70 years So I guess I'll wait and I'll hope because I know that God's going to do what he says he's going to do. Guys, I wrote down three things that I think we do in this time as we get ready to go down the hill. The first thing I wrote down was this, we bow down. We bow down. In other words, we worship God. We bow down to him. We live in worship of him. Guys, it goes back to the great commandment, the greatest commandment that's ever been recorded in the Bible. Jesus is the one that said this is the greatest. The greatest commandment is this: "Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength." He says, "The second one is this: I want you to love. I want you to love your neighbors. I want you to love people." Guys, when you go down the hill, you're not going to have chapel every night. You're not going to have audience of one leading worship every night. You're not going to be in the cabin with your friends and then your youth leaders. You go back to normal life. And you have to make the decision, how will you live with and by and for Jesus? Guys, you're not at the whim of whatever might happen in your faith you make the decision you make the decisions what will you give up for jesus what will you do less of so you can spend time with jesus so first i think we bow down second i think we reach out we reach out guys there is a lot of people there are a lot of people that don't have a relationship with jesus who will stand before their creator one day and have to answer what did you do with my son and say i didn't accept him and because when you don't when you don't surrender to jesus as lord you don't get his forgiveness You don't get what's called imputed righteousness where Jesus, it's almost like this. Imputed righteousness is this. Picture I wear this coat of sin and Jesus is over here wearing this coat of righteousness. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, we exchanged coats. He took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. So when the father sees me, he sees me as if I am as righteous and holy as Jesus because it's been gifted to me. And the only reason I can stand before the Father, the only reason I can stand before God is because righteousness, right standing with him has been gifted to me. But outside of a relationship with Jesus, you answer for your own sin. But what do we look at that verse that seems to be so popular and has been for a couple thousand years, for God so loved the world. That he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Guys, I went to a Christian school my whole life. I remember it was third grade, I was sitting in chapel, which is weird because I have a horrible memory. Ask my wife, she'll tell you. It's like he doesn't hardly remember anything. But I remember this. Person came out, third grade, we had a chapel every week. We're sitting there in little pews, feet aren't even touching the floor. Just brink, 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 brink. A guy comes out and he goes, Man, I don't, I'm not sure if you've ever heard this verse. John 3, 16. And then all, me and my buddies are like, oh we know that verse. We know it. We have memory verses every week. That one's always on the list. We know that one. It's like I wanted to start a revolt. I'm like, just get out, paint your face blue like Babe hair, take him down. Can you imagine all these elementary schools? Chewing on his neck. Get away from me. But here's the thing: he went through that verse, and then he says, I want, you to help you, I want to help you remember this verse in five words, and I've never forgotten them. He goes through the verse, and he says this. Remember that verse with five words, I will never leave you. What? Guys, you realize that before Jesus ascended into the heavens, he looked to his disciples. They're on a mountain. I love the fact that the Bible says some worshiped him and some doubted, which is kind of a, it, It's understandable because the dude they're looking at was dead and now he's alive. And he looks at him and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, because he has all the might and all the right, go, go and make disciples. Now here's the thing about that word go. Guys, they used to think that was a verb. It's not, it's not a command. The only command in that, in that passage, go and make disciples, is to make disciples. Guys, that word go, a lot of times we think go and make disciples means, okay, i got to fly to the other side of the world and tell someone who doesn't speak my language and that's what God's going to do. And for some, God has called them to that. But that word go actually means this. Hey, in your coming and going, wherever you're going, wherever you are, Make disciples. Guys, the phrase that I use all the time with the people that God's entrusted to me in our church community is this. Hey, your mission field starts in your zip code. Your mission field starts in your zip code. An old school preacher by the name of Spurgeon, he said this, every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. There's no such thing as, hey, there's some Christians and then some Christians are missionaries. No, 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 we're all missionaries. We're all called to, but Brian, we're so young. I know, get it done. You can do this. Because the same Holy Spirit that filled the people in the pages of this book is the same Holy Spirit that fills you. The same one who empowers and anoints is the same one who empowers and anoints you. He says, go and make disciples. Baptize those disciples in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach those disciples to what? To obey all that I've commanded you. And at the very end, he says this, oh and by the way, I'll be with you to the end. Guys, why is that that last statement so important? Guys, do you know the one thing that Jesus kept when he resurrected from the dead? He got a new body, and his body could pass through walls. That's awesome. Guys, that's a whole other level of hide and seek. you know the one thing he kept with his new resurrected body? Remember? He looked at Thomas. He said, you needed to see What? Here, come touch the scars in my hands, which would be right here, because to them the hand was the middle of the forearm down to the fingers. Come on, touch them. And he said, put your hand up into my side. You imagine if you've made, I'm just joking. (laughs) Guys, he kept his scars. I don't think he just kept those three. I think he kept them all. So guys, how bad does he look as he's sitting there going, go make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey, by the way. And well, if he puts his hands out and the scars are showing, I'll be with you. He's all scarred up like he's gone through battle. The one who died and came back from the dead, oh, I'll be with you to the very end of the age. Dang. I will never leave you. Man, it fits, doesn't it? Guys, we go and make disciples. We share Jesus. And I know It's terrifying. It is terrifying, isn't it? But I promise you this the more often you take the step to do it, the more boldness you will see Jesus give you. And I'm speaking for personal experience. Guys, for years I begged, God, give me boldness to share your, give me boldness. Guys, preaching behind a pulpit or behind a music stand or whatever your pastors preach from behind, it's easy compared to going up to someone who doesn't know the Lord. Because people are there to listen, they want to learn. Hopefully. So, uh, to preach and to preach boldly, I mean, every pastor should say, okay, this is the opportunity, preach bold. But to get out there, sometimes those pastors are a little bit wimpy. Because we'll say, I do it every week from the pulpit, all the while expecting everyone else to go share their faith, but I don't have to. I can just tell the people who already know about them. And I was so convicted a few years ago. I said, God, that's not right. I'm not a pastor first, I'm a disciple before I'm a pastor. So the great commission is for me too. God, would you give me boldness? And nothing changed, nothing changed, nothing changed. Until all of a sudden it's like, maybe you're waiting for me to take a step of faith and then you provide. So you ever hear hear of a thing called COVID? I'm just joking. Yeah, okay, so during COVID, there's nothing to do, right? Man, I took so many walks. I went on prayer walks all the time. Just walk, 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 because I want to get out of the house. I was tired of it. Guys, I was on those walks, I'd, I'd, I'd start walking, and the thought popped in my head as I'm coming up on, on the person, saying, hey, ask him if you can pray for him. And I'm like, no, 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 not that, not that one. And I, tried, I tried to justify, that's not the Lord, that's the devil. As if the devil would ever say, go pray for someone. I finally got the nerve, I walked up to somebody, and said, hey, I know this sounds weird, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm on a prayer walk, could I pray for you about anything? Sometimes they're like, uh, world peace oh, that's a big one. Okay. But I remember I was walking along and I saw this tiny, tiny little black grandma, just tiny little black woman just walking along. And I thought, okay, but I want to make sure I didn't terrify her because I'm not, I'm not a little black woman. I'm a, I'm a gargantuan white guy. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, here we go. So I walk up and I walk about six to eight feet on this side and I said, hey, I know this is weird, but I'm a follower of Jesus. And she's all happy. i mean, just happy. I'm like, I just want to come to your house and hang out. She, I said, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. I know this sounds weird, but I'm on a prayer walk. Could I pray for you about anything? She says, would you pray for my grandson that he would be healed? I said, oh, my gosh, it's working. Like she just opened up. I said, well, could I walk with you? Do you mind? She goes, of course. Get over here, honey. And I was like, honey? now I feel like I'm your grandkid. (laughs) Like I just want to hold her hand like down here because she's so little. I said, would you tell me the story? And no joke, she just starts opening up. Starts opening up. Then I said, do you have a relationship with Jesus? She goes, oh yes I do. I think she might have even called me child. I said, okay. And you said, I go, that didn't work. I know, but God gave me the boldness to start. So, you have time for one other story. I think we're okay, right? Time wise? We're good? Doesn't matter. I'm still going to do it. Anyway, just joking. <laughs> I'm kidding. A <laughs> few years ago, I went to the store. Um, usually, my wife does it. I went that time and she was working on something at home. So, I was like, I'll go. Give me the list, which is weird. I'll have the list, but I still have to call her to see where things are. <laughs> so, like, apples, where are those? I don't even know. So, so I'm calling her a couple times and but before I, before I go inside, I see this homeless guy. And I've never, at this grocery store, I've never seen a homeless person sitting outside this. And so as I walk up to him, he looks up. He goes, hey, you have a couple bucks. I said, well, let me see what I have when I come back out. And so I go and I do my shopping. The last thing on the list was ice cream. I do not get that first because I don't like soft ice cream. I don't. I like it hard. I'm just like, oh, it's like a brick. So I always get the last, I, I look, which this is kind of, you're kind of seeing a lot of my mind right here. I look to see, is, is there a line pretty short? Go, and then boom, and I'm in line, get going. I go out to Rory, he's like, hey, I, was like, oh, I said, let me look. And I had a 20 and a couple bucks, and I just gave him a couple bucks. I said, hey man, have a good night. He goes, okay. So I, I start walking to my car, and this thought just keeps going. It wouldn't stop. Go back, go back, go back. Mm-mm, I can't, I got ice cream. I can't, like, this is going to be suffering. And it just it wouldn't stop. I get to the car, I'm putting bags in. Go back, go back, mm-mm, mm-mm. ice cream, ice cream. <laughs> and it wouldn't stop, so I finally was like, they threw the last one, shut the, fine. <laughs> like, as if I'm suffering. I have a whole back end of, of my car filled with groceries, and I can't go back and talk to a person because of ice cream. So I ask for forgiveness, and I go back. I said, hey, dude, I just blew you off. I'm so sorry. And I got more than a couple bucks. I said, what do you need it for? And he said, I was going to go inside and get a sandwich. I said, absolutely. So I gave him the 20. And I stopped. I said, tell me your story. And he opened up. His name was Rory. He opened up, told his whole thing. I said, how would you get out of here, man? He was so a few years ago. I got, I got addicted to opiates. And I, I mean, I'm clean now, but... Like, I'm just really struggling. I said, where are you standing? He tells me. And it was really close to this church community that met. Just kind of right down the street from me. I said, have you heard of this church? I said, they've got to celebrate recovery. It's like a recovery program. You've got to connect to it. I and mean, they'll take care of you. Because the church I'm at was like 15 minutes away. I said, but they've got resources. I said, oh, I'll check it out. And I saw these reading this thing, this magazine called The Watchtower. And it's a magazine that's put out by... Um, jehovah's witnesses and it's wrong like ah he just said it's wrong it's wrong they don't believe correctly and so i looked at it and i said hey have you read that he goes yeah it doesn't make sense i said because it's wrong he said can can i tell you about jesus no joke this is all just coming out i'm like where's this coming from i said can i tell you about jesus he goes yes i told him the gospel guys he already had my money he didn't have to listen I said, can I just tell you, and he's just listening. We're just having a conversation. It's awesome. I even sat down as I'm talking. It's like, here I am, me and Rory, the homeless guy, just sitting here. People are passing by, going into Ralph's. We're just chatting. How are you doing? We're just having a conversation. And at the end, I said, Rory, have you, have you ever surrendered your life to Christ? You ever surrendered your life to Jesus? No. I said, do you want to do that right now? He says, yes. And I went, am I on camera? I said, are you serious? He goes, yeah, I didn't know it was like that. So I prayed with him right there. People passing by, Ralph, we gotta get ice cream. I'm like, we're praying, man, we're praying. I get up, I I finish, and I stand up. I said, Rory, I'm so glad I stopped. He goes, hey, one more thing, could I ask you something? I said, sure. He said, can I give you a hug? And I went, heck yeah, you can. So I grabbed him by the hand and I just went wham. He's like, <laughs> man, and I bro hugged him right there in front of Ralph's. It wasn't like the little, the little three-tap thing that we guys do. It's like, eh-wasn't eh, eh. that? Man, I just bam. I've never forgotten him. Guys, I'm not naturally bold like that. But over the last few years, God has given boldness, and I'm telling you, you start taking the steps and watch God provide. We bow down, we reach out, and we stand up. Guys, we stand up when there's a culture telling us to sit down, we stand up, and we don't do it arrogantly, and we don't do it in hatred toward them. Guys, we are not in war with people. We are at war for people. We're not in battle with people, we're in battle for people. That they would come to know Jesus, but friends, The Bible says that anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Persecution will be part of it. So it all comes back to that one question, and this is where we'll close. Is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? And only you can decide it, friends. But every day, you have to make that decision. Last night, I said, hey, if you want to stand up to surrender to Jesus for the first time, and many of you did that. And then I messaged our church community. I have a whole prayer team that were praying for you. And they went nuts. Message after message, response, emoji thing, all this stuff. They're just like, yeah, praise the Lord. And then others of you stood up to repent. Others confessed brokenness. And here's what I don't want you to think. Guys, don't think that the only time that you make those kind of decisions or repentance are at camp twice a year if you hit up winter also. Guys, it's every day. Guys, confession and repentance happen every day. Guys, I have three things of bling. Well, four. Someone gave me this one, which was awesome. When I talked about being God's workmanship, he walked up and he says, you are God's masterpiece. I was like, are you kidding me? So I got four things of bling. This one just gets me dinner, <laughs> so I got four things of bling. This one on my left hand reminds me that I'm married to a hot woman who loves Jesus. You sit there and go, it's not possible, I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's awesome. She is gorgeous, and she loves Jesus more than she loves me, and I love it. This one on my right hand is a reminder, of, hey, I'm all about Jesus. It's my relationship with Jesus. And my watch, when I put my watch on, and everything means something, so I put it back on, it's a recommitment to the vows that I made to this woman 25 years ago. And every time I put this ring on my right hand, it's a reminder, hey, Jesus, I'm all about you. All my days, all my life, we just sang it, that's what it's about. When I put my watch on, I say, hey, God, my day belongs to you, interrupt my schedule to accomplish your will. And I don't stand in front of the mirror and go, bam, yeah. I don't, it's not like that. I just know that when I put it on, that's what I mean. And throughout the day, if all of a sudden a thought pops in my head, I know that it's not pleasing to God. I sit to go, God, I don't like that thought. I repent from it. I turn to you. That's repentance and confession. It happens multiple times throughout the day because I want to be intimate with God. You do it all the time. You make the decision to face Jesus. Why? Because he's worth it. And when you face Jesus, we worship Jesus. And how do we worship We go to our knees, we sing songs, we love those who hate us. We love them in return. We bring them the gospel that they can hear about Jesus and surrender their lives to him. And guys, think about it. When Jesus says, man, there's this thing called the church and the gates of hell cannot withstand it. Church, I'm talking to the people. Church is not a place. It's not an event. The word means a gathering of people brought together to fulfill a purpose. The word church is the people. And Jesus says, my people, the gates of hell can't withstand my people. Guys, gates are defensive. Church, it's time to go on the offense. It's time for us to be what Jesus called us to be. We go with him. We go by him. Why? Because he's worth it. So let me pray. If as I pray, if you say, Jesus, I'm all yours, use me. And this is for everyone in the room. I'm not going to have you stand because I want it to be personal. But as I pray, if that's you, I just want you to put your hands in your lap with your palms facing up. It's like I'm just giving you. It's like you're giving God You. And then every day you say the same thing. God, I'm giving you, I'm giving me to you. Like you get me. So as I pray, if you're saying, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours. Then your hands just go in your lap with your palms up. If you're standing, they just go out to your side, palms up. Let me pray. God, thank you. Oh, thank you for a great week. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you. Thank you, God. God, for those who have palms faced up to you, God, give us the boldness. Anoint us with your power. God, to live with you and by you. God, use us to impact people with the gospel. God, may we not, may we not pull back. May we continue to move forward. God, wake us up. May it not just be something that we leave up here, God, but may this be the place, may this be the catalyst that launches us into this new life with you. So God, we surrender to you over and over and over again. We say no to ourselves and yes to you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you will lead and guide. You'll convict and encourage, you will help. Father, thank you that you are near and you are with us. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us, and we do all of these things because, Jesus, you're worth it, and Jesus, I thank you that your cross is your declaration that we are worth it to you. God, thank you for all that you've done, and all that you'll do. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor, for you alone are worthy, and we pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone who agrees says, amen. Love you more than you know.